you saying how like a lot of fish cakes that you might have at a restaurant just doesn't have all the Thai components like the makrut lime leaves or they'll just put in a lot of filler. So she likes to make it because you can really get all the herbs and, and, and flavors in there. And, you know, that's what I want to make with everyone or like to share a Thai food that is, is the kind that my mom would eat. I was just laughing at normal. <laughs> Welcome back to Seeds and Their People. I'm Chris Bowden Newsom, farmer and co-director of Sankofa Farm at Bartram's Garden in sunny southwest Philadelphia. And I'm Owen Taylor, seed keeper and farmer at True Love Seeds. We're a seed company offering culturally important seeds grown by farmers committed to cultural preservation, food sovereignty, and sustainable agriculture. This podcast is supported by True Love Seeds and also you. Thank you so much to our newest Patreon members, Spencer. Kimmy, Barbara, Kay, Sydney, Catherine, Banana Poo, okay. Gigi Rassi, Margaret, Miriam, Aaron, and Francis. And Jennifer. If you'd like to support our storytelling and seed keeping, you can do so at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds. This month, we are doing something new and answering some of your questions. We'll be taking questions from our Patreon members first, as well as a couple from Instagram. So first up, Brian from Western Kentucky wrote, I have failed to successfully germinate all my milkweed seeds for several years. I've tried cold stratification to no avail. Any suggestions? Okay, so milkweed species generally require at least 30 days of cold stratification, which means exposure to cold temperatures. And uh, what we do, and maybe this is what you've tried, Brian, but just in case, I'm going to tell everybody. First of all, we keep our milkweed seeds in their jar in our fridge just to keep them cool in storage. Second of all, we, before we plant the seeds, we put them in a wet paper towel you know a moist a moist maple maple <laughs> a moist paper towel in a ziploc bag labeled with the date and which seed it is uh, so kind of folded over the seeds um, so that they're just kept not just cold but also moist uh, for 30 days at least and before we plant and that really helps so while we store the seeds in cold it's really the cold wet or cold moist kind of scenario that works for them and another way to do it is to plant them directly in the ground in the fall and that's just really what you're replicating in the fridge is what they would be experiencing in the soil like a moist cold soil all winter or you could plant them in you know potting soil that's moist and put it outside or somehow protect it while it's both wet um, and cold so that they come up in the spring so hopefully that is helpful so next question, Mahogany's Garden on Instagram asks, 
which ancestral seeds are underrated and overlooked and need a reintroduction to the world, and why is this plant so special? Well, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I guess probably the first ancestral food crop that comes to mind the efoshoko, which um, we offer at True Love Seeds, uh, and which we've been growing now for some years at Sankofa, is an absolutely excellent green. I can't really think of, 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 of any green that really compares to it in terms of taste, um, its durability, its beauty in the field. It's one of the most gorgeous mahogany kind of um, red, just beautiful. You know, it's like, it's like a, a gorgeous uh, flaming bush uh, in, the, uh, in the field. Uh, and it stands for a very long time without going to seed, at least in our field, Sankofa. And even uh, when it's put up its uh, flower heads, um, the leaves are still uh, edible and still delicious. Uh, so I will say the Efoshoko and, and just in general, the whole family of uh, warm weather amaranths, African amaranths and or South American amaranths, right? And in, in the south where I come from, we refer to to, to, to what is called Callaloo in Jamaica, which is also a warm weather amaranth, uh, as pigweed uh, or red root pigweed. So, so all of the pigweeds uh, or amaranths, I think, are just uh, really overlooked, uh, particularly in this country. Before you move on from amaranth, we should say that efoshoko is a Yoruba word, and it's a celosia. So what a lot of people in the U.S. think of as an ornamental flower, you know, a celosia, is actually a food crop in many parts of the world, Africa, Asia, um, and beyond. And so ifoshoko, the Yoruba word for a certain type of celosia, a leaf celosia that's still very, as you said, gorgeous, but we grow as a food crop. Yeah. So that that, that, that probably is one of the first plants that come to mind. And again, I say ifoshoko, but I'm going to include in that also it's, it's uh, amaranth relatives of uh, the wild spinaches, you know, as they would be referred to in Africa. And, and because they grow up and provide a bounty for most of the summer at our farm and our neighbors absolutely love uh, that entire tribe of plants for cooking greens and they're extremely nutritious and very, very durable and and resistant uh, to disease and pests in my experience. True. While the cucumber or not the cucumber, the amaranth flea beetles love the callaloo. They do not touch the efoshoko. No, not yet. At least it's probably just a darn resistant and strong uh, green. Uh, and for that reason, and I think, again, when we talk about the power of ancestral eating, when you eat resilient foods, when you eat strong foods, you know, the idea is that we are also taking into ourselves that energy that makes them and that power that makes them resistant and and, and makes them so durable uh, so that we ourselves will become that way. Another part of the question is, which ancestral seeds are surprisingly easy to grow? And let's get shallow. Which ancestral seeds germinated into the most beautiful or unique plants? I think one of the beautiful things, at least speaking from African diasporic foods, is that many of our traditional foods are very easy to grow. By easy, I mean that they don't take a lot of, they don't need a lot of coddling. You don't need to prepare the soil and make sure that it's super uh, rich or, or, or anything necessarily for a lot of it. I mean, I'll give you, for example, you know, the the entire Vignum Wikulata um family, species, it's not, you know, you generally can put a black eyed pea or a black eyed pea relative in soil of almost any quality and, and it will grow. 
and generally thrive. I would say the same for a garden egg. Uh, so, and the same for sorghum. So again, I think traditionally uh, we've lucked out in that African ancestral species many times are are easy to grow in that they don't require a, a huge investment of of energy uh, besides you know sort of preparing the soil and 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 keeping it alive in its babyhood. Yeah, so the amaranth and then and then the uh vignum guiculata or your field peas, I would say are probably the easiest to grow. And in terms of beauty, uh, I mean I hate to keep talking about the FO Shoko, but it is a, just a gorgeous plant to look at. It's a plant that I could look at all day, you know, in the field, especially as it gets taller uh and catches the light. So yeah, that's just a gorgeous, a gorgeous ancestral crop. Probably next to that would be sorghum. Almost any sorghum, particularly the coral sorghum, though, which we grow, which I think originates in Sudan. South Sudan. Yeah, or came here from South Sudan, at least, uh, uh, is also just a, a glorious and beautiful statuesque plant uh, in the field. It's also an ancestral crop. Finally, Meg Murray, Murphy on Instagram wrote, Hi, Chris and Owen. I have some questions about Couve. I live in Garden in New Hampshire and have Azorian heritage. A few years ago, I received some smooth leaf Azorian kale slash couve seeds through Seed Savers Exchange. I've read that different types of couve are grown in Portugal and Brazil. I'd like to hear anything about growing it in the history of couve and how to save seeds. I haven't gotten it to flower yet here in New Hampshire. Well, I can talk a little bit about saving seeds. I haven't grown this type before, but it's basically, from my understanding, somewhere between a kale and a collard. And it's Brassica oleraceae, that species of kale and collard, but also broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. It's a big, it's a big species with a lot of types. Generally, that species, I think always that species is a biennial. There's probably some exceptions, but this one is certainly a biennial. Some other information I got from Meg um, on Instagram is that the deer eat her plants down every fall. So there's a, you know, the main hint for why it's not flowering or making seeds. Actually, it was the week that both Frank Morton and Mama Ira Wallace came to our farm. Uh, and we have interviews with both of them from that week years ago, where they both talked to me about overwintering this species. And that in order for it to flower the next year, the stems of the plant should be at least as thick as your pinky to trigger flowering in the next year. And if the deer are mowing it down to the roots, which sounds like it was the case, I suppose that would, you know, negate that or, or make it not go to flower the next year. She does say it comes back from the roots. Um, and, you know, I always heard that, you know, when you plant the seed and the seedling comes up, that's when it should get thick. And I imagine it got thicker than that before the deer ate it. But maybe the fact that they ate it down to the ground will just negate flowering because there's no stem yeah, of any thickness. Yeah, it wouldn't have enough time to regenerate. Well, you know, the next spring it comes up and becomes lush again. It, it, so it's, it's, I don't know if it's the time, but it's just that its body is not undergoing the winterization that needs to happen um, with enough kind of girth on the stem or any stem whatsoever to trigger the flowering and going to seed. So yesterday we had our growers gathering on Zoom with dozens of our growers looking at crop planning. And I decided to make the first point in crop planning to be about deer fencing, 
because so many of our growers, you know, one of the biggest things that prevents a successful seed harvest is actually deer eating the crops, deer, rabbits, and groundhogs. So I think in order to save the seeds, they just need to be protected over the winter. And this is my, my guess about it. We don't work with any growers from Portugal or Brazil yet at this point. So I can't say I have firsthand experience or secondhand experience with this particular crop. I'm wondering if you have anything to say about couve culturally. Culturally, you know, no, I mean, I, well, yeah, you know, just to that point of that, we don't currently have anybody from the uh, Portuguese diaspora uh, or, the, or the Portuguese speaking world growing food uh, right now, which is really a shame because we do know people from their diaspora, Cape Verdeans, and, as well as uh, Azorians and, and, and Portuguese uh, descended folks. So maybe we need to lean on them a little harder to grow some of those traditional crops. But I know I have grown couve before, uh, and I didn't realize that it needed cool weather in order to really do its thing, in order to really, you know, get that impressive coloring and, and, and size. Uh, and so I grew it at the wrong time, and this was many, many years ago. So, you know, I I, I found it to be just a slightly unique-looking collard green uh, at the time, you know, in my ignorance, not knowing much about it. But, yeah, I, I don't know much more about it other than that. But we should definitely get someone to start growing it. Now for our feature presentation. This episode features Heidi Ratanawinitz. An old friend of ours who, as a true love seeds apprentice, focused on Thai and Chinese seed crops and who also co-founded Golden Dragon, a black and Asian operated food project in a former Chinese takeout restaurant of the same name. Heidi invited us to interview their mom and aunties who were visiting from Thailand and Chicago. In Chicago, Heidi's family runs Al's Drive-In, a hot dog stand with a few Thai-influenced Chinese dishes as well. This was a, a gorgeous uh, episode for me, mostly just to see the continuation of culture, culture being passed on, which I think, particularly in the immigrant context, you know, is not always a given. But to see, you know, that that mother and daughter are cooking together in the same kitchen, are talking about and sharing recipes and, and educating one another. Uh, even on their traditional foods, was something that was really powerful to see. So it, yeah, it it it, it felt like a, a an interview where um, you know, you you feel like you're right in the kitchen uh, with it happening, and uh, what a powerful gathering of aunties and and moms and grandmas and generations. Yeah, and I loved getting to know Heidi's family and was really excited as always walking through our farm field with them and and seeing which plants like really got them excited and sparked their memories. Uh, and it reminded me why we grow, you know, a small plot of rice, you know, and little cultural touchstones for our visitors to really break open into story mm -hmm. and memory. So let's get into it. Uh, we're going to start in the kitchen at Golden Dragon. Okay, Matt. You say your name, God. My name is uh, Sue Ratanawanitz, born in uh, Thailand, in uh, China, Sapaya, Bangkok. Where do you live right now? Oh, now I live in uh, Chicago. Thank you. Where are you? 
you born? สัพยาเอ่อ Thailand Where do you live now? เอ่อสัพยา Thailand ค่ะ Perfect นัดไต Your turn Where What is your name? My name is Toy Chindamani I live in Chicago and I was born in the south of Thailand in the Nalatiwat. Thank you. Okay, Na, could you my introduce? Name, yeah, my name is Nana. Uh, I li- I born in the Thailand, uh, China Sabaya, and now we live in. I live in the Chicago. Perfect. Thank you. Who are you? I am Heidi. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm currently based in Philadelphia. And I'm here now with my aunties and my mom in Philadelphia, and we're cooking together. We are at Golden Dragon in West Philly. This is a food and art project space. Um, that started in 2020, roughly. We have a partnership with Bunny Hop, which is a f- mutual aid food distro. Yeah, right now we're just kind of in the process of like figuring out when we can open and make food with friends and artists and chefs, and try to figure out how to partner, create partnerships and collaborations with local farmers and growers here in Philly. Can you describe what someone will see as they pass your place on the street? So, Golden Dragon is a former Chinese takeout restaurant in West Philly. It still has the original sign signage outside with the original phone number, which is no longer active. We're standing in the lobby right now, where it's it, the original. Lobby and everything in the kitchen is from the former owners, so that was important to this project. It's one we didn't have the mon- money to like change things, but also it felt important to like keep the space as a familiar sort of like space in the neighborhood where it's like a a yellow sign that people come in and can get out get takeout food. So that felt really important to this project. Our little family has come here many times after we go to the barber around the corner, and gotten takeout from you all in one of your iterations, and it's so delicious and so nice to come into a community. Well, it feels like a community space, even though it's a takeout restaurant where our friends are cooking and people are enjoying delicious food. So, thanks for for what you're doing, and I'm excited to see where it goes next. I saw some of our peppers on your counter. I should show you more. There's more in the freezer too. Yes, and so my relationship to true love was, I mean, began just through friendship with Chris and Owen as people that I've come to know as I've situated my life in Philadelphia, and have always found like their relationship to growing and seed saving so like inspiring and just like. Built on love and care for what they're doing, and the opportunity to apprentice at True Love last summer in 2021 
it was this moment for me to get deeper, dig deeper into my relationship to Thai food and growing some Thai ingredients that feel near and dear to me to to understand like my Thai American components and grow a few things that I think helped me sort of unpack those things in my life. So I grew Thai holy basil, which is kapao, and then two varieties, red and white. And I also tended to Chinese lettuce, seltus, which I think that is a nod to my Chinese side that I don't know a lot about, but I want to acknowledge as, as a you know, component of myself. And this pepper. Oh, and yeah, prick chi fa, which is this this Thai pepper that I've I'm getting to know at True Love. It was my sort of first time experimenting with this pepper that is sort of like a pep a Thai pepper that most people don't talk about because the bird eye chili Thai bird eye chili is like is the star and like has taken a lot of the like spotlight but this the prachifa i think is just as important to thai cuisine awesome and i see it over there kind of should we look at it yeah check it out and then we can talk to your family some more here we are so his this is a quart of prachifa vinegar which is called prick namsom which just means like um like namsom is like a sour vinegar and it's like translation like base form so this is just the prachifa from true love deseeded blended with garlic salt and just white vinegar so this is just like kind of like a base to a lot of other sauces or it's just a dip it's a hot sauce that people love to like add to their dishes to customize and make special for their own and this is the star of the show yeah so this is just next to it we're like looking at some prickinu which is the bird eye chili that is in a, a lot of the thai dishes too as like sauces too but it's the heat factor is definitely a lot more spicier than the prick chipa mm -hmm. what are we hearing in here so right now my family, my aunties and my mom are visiting from Chicago and an activity I suggested was cooking dinner and they love cooking and being in the kitchen and they wanted to cook food for my friends and family here in Philly. And so right now we're prepping a few dishes, Pad Thai classic, um, Masaman, a curry, Penang, and we're gonna do a soup, tom yam gung, which is a, a sour, spicy shrimp um, soup. And then I think later I'm gonna, my mom was really impressed, but I'm gonna make kanom chan, which is a Thai, a Thai coconut dessert that she's not familiar with, but I told her I was ex experimenting with this and she was really impressed that I'm trying this out. So we're gonna, I'm gonna make it with her later. Awesome. I wonder if it makes sense to talk about some of the ingredients while they're out yeah. with the people who are working with them. Yeah. So, Donnie, 
เพื่อนเขาอยากคุยเรื่องต้มยำอันนี้แล้วก็บางอย่างที่อันนี้ตะไคร้อันนี้อะไรใบมะกรูดคาหอมใหญ่หอมแดงอ่ะหอมแดง So some ingredients they were describing for this dish is the tom yum is the lemongrass, mercrut, lime leaves, galanga, and a red onion. And some of these came from Chicago, right? Yes. So the mercrut, mercrut, lime leaves, citrus estrics. Why? Why do you grow it at home? Because uh, they got a uh, good for Thai food. Mm-hmm. We need every like panang c h i m e k We have to put it. Tom yum, it tom yum very important. You cannot cook without it. Makut. Can you say the English name again? Um, the English name is makut, or some people will call it lime leaves. Yeah, lime leaves. Some people they call. But come f r t h a Thailand. My aunt is saying that. This one that we brought from Chicago is actually from the seed is from Thailand. These are the seeds from Sapia, where my uncle Namot, who is their younger brother, who is in Chicago right now, he they helped him like dry the makrut lime seeds and and like the old ones she was describing, and I guess he he brought them over. And so this is how you have mukrut lime leaves, right? This one, uh, that's all we can plant the ten year because usually, usually they go in outside. Outside, but now to go Chicago, Florida, my friend, they cut from outside. They cut a lot. So how big is it? From outside is the big, like from me, about about this four feet. Yeah, like four feet. She was just describing how makrut is an essential ingredient in curries. So where does it live in the house? I have a clean house a little bit in my house. Yeah, you need to stay with the sun. Mm-hmm. And then you said that out we're in Chicago, so summer you you keep it outside. Yes, and then we move to outside. Yeah, and it moves to your greenhouse in the winter. Yeah, yeah. My, I got greenhouse for a lot. What else do you keep in your greenhouse? Lemon gad, kapow, kapa, lega, pikinu, chili, Thai chili. So lemongrass, Thai chili, kapow. Yeah. Kapow, Thai holy basil, ochimun species. I, I, I grew the kapow of Owen. How about last summer? My aunt here, who's here right here, she helped me get the seeds and pointed out this plant. So I wanted to know, like, if they can describe their relationship to kapow. So she was saying how there's a Thai dish called pat kapow, which is like the name translate literally to just like kapow stir fry. The kapow is like in the name of the dish, so it's like necessary for this 
dish to exist is to have this herb. But she was also saying that being here, a lot of people, because it's so hard to find kapow, horapa, which is Thai basil or basil, um, is a substitute. But it it is it's a substitute that happens, but it it really is it doesn't make the dish because kapow is necessary for it. So she was just describing a little bit about that. She's saying at the end there, the the red variety of the kapow is the best. And you used it in your cooking here, is that right? Yes, um, because I've, you know, formalized this relationship with True Love and been talking about kapow. I, I've been able to, to make this dish with, with kapow and not horapa. And have you have you noticed the difference? Yes, definitely. The flavor is just really different. Smell strong, chun chun gamin like that, like a smell a lot like that. Kapow definitely has this aroma that's super important to the dish. So it's like it's fragrant. It's got like a. They kept repeating the spiciness of it is necessary for this dish. While like. Horapa maybe is like sweeter and just like not as like fiery and potent. So like when they use kapow, it like can just like make you sneeze. It's just it's just its present is is very like forward. Like it's it seems like it's in the front. I think I heard your mom say hot. Yeah, times. hot, hot. That that is what they kept saying. Mm-hmm. Like the heatness of it is definitely like a, a large component of what kapow is and it's hot in thailand my mom i'm 77 now they use uh, like a we make a power uh for baby born they got like a stomach hurt like a too much get cry baby cry problem about stomach uh-huh. my mom got use kapow so it's used as medicine, right? Yeah, medicine. That's very good for stomach ache. Uh huh. For baby like, born, mm-hmm. the birth born. Do you think? Do you think I could still use it for my stomach? <laughs> no, no. like your brother, the first my older son, we used. He born in the Thailand. That time he cry every day. In the morning, in the afternoon, he cry, cry like that. My mom say, did stomach. My mom would use kapow and three days he don't cry no more, my son. So is it the wet leaf? You're grinding it up? So the fresh leaf, right? So I think there's like a solution that's like lime that people use, I guess, to like chew, like as a, like a chewing thing, but also it's used in baking too. Mm-hmm. I have some at home. It's like mm-hmm. pink. Mm-hmm. And then you make a solution and it's like this lime water solution. So they were saying that the um, kapow is mixed with that into a paste where you, you put on your belly. But don't hit the belly button. And what do you wrap it with? Just fabric? Just like a, a piece of fabric. Yeah. To keep it on. Can you ask, did, did your mother use other healing herbs? So lemongrass is like dried and used as a tea 
for for high blood pressure. Most of the like herbs or things like that, like the lemongrass and basil's and the galanga, like all that is medicine, but it's like in the food, you know. So like it's just part of what they were eating on the daily. One question I've been just thinking a lot about in terms of my own like getting to know kapow, and like. That's like my food journey to Thai food, and so one thing I am always curious about asking my mom and my aunties is like, what did what did Thai food look like when they came to the U.S. in the '70s? You know, like what it what was Thai food like then? Because it seems like Thai food is is everywhere. So, mom, thon mama, when you first came to the U.S., what? What did Thai food look like? Like, was there kapow? The first, I don't see. I I be here 1972. No, no orange soup. No, no kapow. No nothing. Very hard to get. Not like, not like right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. She was describing like some things were dried that you can find, but nothing fresh. 1972 mm-hmm. in Baltimore, very no, mm-hmm. no Thai food, no herb, no nothing mm-hmm. until. 75, 1975, they come from Thai grocery, they have that mm-hmm. one, they have Nam Pik Gang. Sometimes there was no Nam Pik Gang, my mother. No curry paste. No curry paste. It was just non-existent, so they didn't really make Thai food. And when they did get a hold of like Thai ingredients from friends or like dried ingredients, they would make it, but... I remember when I was a kid, we used to have this katai, mm-hmm. which is called rabbit, and it's like a little tool for scraping coconut. Coconut, cocos nucifera. Why were we making coconut in that way, like scraping it? And she's saying that a lot of Thai people had like their friends ship the ingredients either by like boat or you know like large shipments they would just br- like send curry paste and like all the ingredients to make it here coconut milk was uh-huh. hard to get right yeah that's time so they got fresh coconut cut it in half you scrape all the like coconut meat out mm-hmm. and then you blend it mm-hmm. to get the juice then out with the warm water with a little water mm-hmm. uh-huh. warm, warm water make a, and make then a you cut it up. and then you strain it three yeah. times yeah drain with at a, least. a skin like that something like, like this that. with a strainer it's mm-hmm. with that make coconut mm-hmm. it's very hard to make mm-hmm. where did the coconuts come from i don't know probably mexico something definitely mm-hmm. other like immigrant grocery mm-hmm. stores yeah like uh, about about 1980, we can find some plate like this. They have a lot of coconut now after that. When they had to make the coconut milk, then they didn't do it often because what's the use of having that without curry paste? You know, you didn't have the other ingredients to actually make the whole dish. So it was, they didn't, they, re- they rarely did it. They don't have, like, like now everywhere but that time no hard to get they can find everything right now matt you you grow a lot of your stuff too right Mm -hmm. when you first came you didn't grow a lot right 
n o t t i n g go first นะ right. and first time we go ก็ by my good my friend I don't know where they take from m o r what they did I don't know where they take the gift to me yeah. that one we start I happy I got right now I use everything for by my good เรียกอะไรลาอะไรนะลามลีฟ that the first The first ingredient. The first, I, I, I have Thai herb. We happy. We do this together. When was that? About that time, the mother go go Heidi born. Eighty. Nineteen eighties. I nineteen eighty two, eighty three. I go in my home. I got two, three at home now. I'm happy. I got everything. <laughs> Tom Yum soup. Yet number one in the Thai food, Tom Yum Kung. Tom Yum Kung. Yeah, but you can put seafood, everything. You can put the lemon grass. Then go buy m a k r o Show you this one. This one. All this you cannot without it. Tom Yum is good. Have to have lemon grass, lime leaf. Don't want to go to Thai restaurant. They don't have enough like this. That's why I make my own. They just put little bit. Sometimes they don't have this. Don't just make me never put me. Okay, so it's not tom yum unless it has lemongrass, lime leaf, onion, and galanga. Yeah, it that the lot and lots of it. Yeah, that tom yum. This one is alright, but this one you cannot live without it. So tomato, you can take it or leave it, but you need the other one. You don't take, but this very important. You make tom yum, you have to cut it. And that is a lot of yeah. lemongrass and, and a lot of lime leaf. Not tom yum. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't go even now. Thai restaurant they never put because it's hard to get and too expensive. They don't use. They put like some little bit like for one. Do you ever make Thai food at your restaurant? Uh, my restaurant, uh, I just make a fried rice. <laughs> I mostly get American food because the best fried rice I know, like a. Half Thai, half Chinese. You know, did why my fried rice sell really good. What makes your fried rice Thai? Thai, I don't know. They put not the same. I use the even light. I have to use the long grain. My light, not weird. But Thai, they use just mean. Sometimes the same style, but Thai Thai fried rice they cut little bit sweet, and they put other thing. But okay. light is soft. Your rice, you use long grain rice. My had to cook like that. And do you make it a little sweet also? No, my not sweet. I put like a. I have recipe my my that's too long. I got my salt. You know, I make my own salt. Sauce. Fried rice. Is it a secret? Yeah, not not secret. I can tell. I tell Heidi. I make. I have to put a, a oyster salt. In sesame oil and uh, the salt, I make with the soy salt from Chinese and black soy salt from uh, from Chinese and Thai. We put in the big barrel. I did put the soy salt like we make the big one. Mm-hmm. But after that, I use uh, make a uh, sesame oil and oil the salt. They make smell taste very good. That's why even my people they like to eat my fried rice. <laughs> What kind of vegetables or herbs? Any? Fried rice. Oh, we just put onion. Green onion. Green onion on the top. The white onion. We cook, cook the, with the meat. The one you order meat. We put. We my fried rice. Put green onion, white onion. Cook with the meat. Like on depend what kind of meat. And put the egg. 
ในผัดไทยพุทธเอกและอัพเตอร์ดันเนี่ยพุทธกรีนไนเนียนจิตวิทย์อนัตถ์ Have you had fried rice at your restaurant since you started 1979 always hot dogs and fried rice First I bought hot dog stand first and I make a Chinese food later About I have Chinese food about 1980 after Heidi bought 1983 84 something like Uh, uh, so in the beginning, just hot dogs and American food yeah. from 1979, uh-huh. and then after Heidi, you started serving Chinese food too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did you start serving Chinese food? Why? Because I like to eat Thai food. t h a t why <laughs> we need right. We have to eat right, right? t h a t why I say, oh, I got little bit room in the back. I let her father build a kitchen for Chinese. t h a t why. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever make other Chinese food there, or just fried rice? Oh, I have some c h a p t o k a i like a pepper steak, chop suey, chim lobster sauce. That shrimp with lobster sauce. <laughs> we have to make everything. Have to be good. In, we don't know how to make. We don't do. <laughs> pepper steak, chop suey, oh, the good chim lobster sauce. Usually, before we open, we make egg foo yang too, but too much work. Now, <laughs> I, I just saw that you won an award this week. Pardon me. The um, B- Vienna Beef Vienna Hot Beef. Dog Award. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see that? That they got that award? Yeah, I just learned that Al's drive-in was inducted into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's what it was. That's what I, I learned when I was on my drive here. Because I, I was trying to remember the name of the restaurant and like do a little background research, and it came right. up all these news sites with videos about the the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a big thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, forty yeah. five years is a long relationship to a place, and I think, in my opinion, we can be there because of the relationships we have with customers, patrons, and students, and. Yeah, people that are in Maywood that we form relationships with through this way, through this food place. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mom was saying that there was already a legacy there because the previous owner, Al's Al, mm-hmm. he had run the business for 25 years already at that mm-hmm. point. And then when we took it over, that's another like 45 years. So, so 70 years of hot dogs at yeah. Al's, yeah. and now uh, fried rice too. Yep, and now fried rice. <laughs> Mom wants to point out that our commitment to Vienna hot dogs is, you know, part of this. Like, was why we are inducted into the Hall of Fame too. It's this commitment to Vienna beef being the the brand of type the type of hot dog. Can I ask why? What what is it? I don't know what Vienna beef is, so I'd love to hear about that and what why why is that special. เขาถามว่าทำไมใช้เวียนาบีฟยี่ห้อนี้ยี่ห้อนี้มันมี only Chicago and then number one in the hot dog everybody know have to the good hot dog stand if you use Vienna everybody go they say they say very good Vienna good but I don't know that why they give me award a lot because 70 year I never change I got good customer We can get along very good with customers. They want good Vienna. No, I think everyone loves a hot dog. Mm-hmm. But what is it about Chicago 
and hot dogs. I don't know why they say I add them. They we are not a big company. They say I don't know. They say not not the another state. Just only Chicago. They have Vienna. Yeah. Oh, Vienna beef is only there. Yeah, only and then it just seems like Chicago seems to be known for hot dogs. Yeah. And what what what's the deal? I, I mean, the Chicago style hot dog is a very particular type of dog. So it's dressed up in. I guess how many how many layers? Maybe it echoes the like winters in Chicago, so it needs a lot of layers. But people s- s- tend to call it like drag through the garden because first it's on a poppy seed bun, and there's yellow mustard, there's relish, this like very Kelly green relish, um, raw onions, um, a kosher pickle tomatoes like wedges of tomato um, sport peppers and then sprinkled with celery salt and that's dragged through the garden wow yeah now that's you can order one with that or they all come with that if you say chicago style that's that's how that's everything wow we could do a whole seeds in their people episode on the drag through the garden hot dog because that's like seven or eight different plants right there on this hot dog. <laughs> a mustard, a sesame, a pickle, a cucumber, a tomato, mm-hmm. an onion, pepper. a pepper. Yeah, it's wow. really, it really is a garden. Yeah. Wow. So maybe that can be something we can aim for in the future, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am very interested. <laughs> She's feeling a way about Al's becoming just like getting a lot of maybe like attention from media and how I don't know she's feeling humble but also they've been doing this for like 40 years and so I think it's it's like this moment of like wow this this work is this work that we've been doing is like being seen or like people see see us yeah and I saw that you're in the New York Times this year too and last time the journal number two they come take just last week, last last Tuesday they come. Mm-hmm. I'm not here. I saw. I watched it. Yeah, you were like that. Uh, did why? Did why we we got we stay in hot dog? Why we stay too long? Because we are not with the custom. I never change. Even right now, I don't make much money. Cost too high, but I still do it. My sister, she the one take care right now. I'm retired. <laughs> yeah, she uh, take care of hot dogs and she the one. <laughs> I ask a strange hot dog question. If there was such a thing as a Thai hot dog, <laughs> how would you make a hot dog Thai? You don't make Thai one. Well, mom, maybe you know. What's the closest thing to a hot dog? Oh, well, people eat an encased meat in Thailand. The Thai sausage tastes better to her than here. <laughs> better than a hot dog? Better than a hot dog? Yeah. Over here, um, too much salty. You have to eat. That's why they put in the bun in the bed. Like put in the bed. Like put rather onions, trimming rather thing. But Thailand, they don't put much. Oh, you're saying the the bun is like a bed to like take away the saltiness of it? Yeah, yeah. So it's salty and it needs a bun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you offset Thailand, that. <laughs> the Thailand go. 
She's saying in Thailand they're 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 making more of a hot dog sandwich with the Thai sausage that I was describing, and they put it in a bun, and it's becoming more popular. Oh, have yeah. you tried it? My cooking, yeah, yeah. She says it's just delicious in a different way. What garden is is that one dragged through? It's just ketchup and like sriracha. It's like hot sauce and ketchup. That's it on the hot dog. And then you said there's seasonings in it. In the inside the, the meat. In the Thai sausage, one notable spice is. White pepper, right? Yeah. So she's saying white pepper is usually used because black pepper is hard to find, but they use black pepper in the sausages because it's hard to find. Thank you for humoring me. Can I ask one more question of you and your mom and maybe your aunties? Yeah. Last question. Last question. I want to know what are their hopes for you carrying on the food traditions? Okay. She's saying it does make her happy that it won't disappear and that I can and can continue to like work with Thai flavors and like bring in like and keep Thai Thai flavors like going and around for people. She's saying how like a lot of fish cakes that you might have at a restaurant just doesn't have all the Thai components like the makrut lime leaves or they'll just put in a lot of filler like just different not sweet so she likes to make it because you can really get all the herbs and, and, and flavors in there and you know that's what I want to make with everyone or like to share a Thai food that is, is the kind that my mom would eat so that's your goal for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to meet your reach your goals with Thai food? I think just moments like this bringing them here and like spending time together cooking showing them, you know, the sort of relationship to Thai food that I've been cultivating on my own here like going to True Love and you know, asking questions and just trying to get their stories before, you know, we can't do that. Well, maybe let me get this mic out of here and you can immerse yourself fully. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank um, you for sharing this really important moment and letting us enter this space mm -hmm. and witness it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, taking the time to like listen and you're doing this work that's so necessary and yeah thanks for including us gosh my absolute pleasure <laughs> see you at dinner <laughs> okay, see you at dinner thank you everyone thank you you want to eat something tonight i'll be back okay oh good yeah you come tonight so we're here in the field we're at the farm it's a new day Mm -hmm. We're with Heidi and their mom and aunties, and we're touring the crops that are familiar to them. Yeah, and we're kind of just getting, you know, coming to the place where I started growing the kapow. And so Nuam is here, and she was the one to help me harvest the kapow in 
Sapia. And so I wanted to bring all of them here to see where Kapow is going in West Philly. Marum, Moringa, Moringa Olefera. Marum, 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 Marum. We call it Moringa. They call it Marum in the Thai. They call it Moringa. มะลุมมะลิงกะอ๋อมะลุมมะลิงกะอืมนั่นมันต้องแก่แล้วแต่ว่าถ้าอ่อนเนี่ยเค้าก็เอามาขูดน้ำฝักมันน่ะเอามา
Jao Pru Ya Eggplant Solanum Melongina When my baby I can eat, you know, some, they just, not, not all like this, they, they came the baby one or you. Like this? Yeah, but young then did, did it too old too. Did one, no, too old. Uh -huh. Uh, you use baby one, uh, you are by gang, kiawan, yeah, the bed, uh, gang, clean. Green, green curry. The number one is what they So, they were saying that the, some of the eggplants, that you can stir fry it, you could put it in curries, you could put it in soups, but it's most ideal to harvest them when they're really young and small. Mm. Um, and slice it very thin. Uh, put garlic. Garlic. And uh, we put basil. Mm -hmm. And and a little bit cherapino chop. Oh, mm -hmm. real good. And to me, uh, soybean. Fermented soybean. Yeah. If you like meat, you like tofu, you don't eat, you can add. But I like. I like this one. Mm -hmm. What kind of meat do you like with this one? Usually we, we can use pork. Mm -hmm. yeah. But mostly I eat mine, I don't put meat. I like it like that. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, she's saying the name of the, the eggplant that she's familiar with is called Jiao Pia mm -hmm. eggplant, which is Jiao Pia is the name of the like main river in Thailand, which My, is really? like their backyard mm -hmm. is the Jiao Pia River. And that's mm -hmm. not this eggplant. It's not this one, it, um, but it's very. When she saw this yeah, yeah. this variety, she was very. She immediately thought of the the Jiao Pia eggplant, which is a smaller variety, round and harvested when it's white and little, mm -hmm. um, but it eventually turns green, not orange. Is there shape like an egg? It is shaped round, like maybe or like a ping pong mm -hmm. versus an egg. Shape like this, but it's small. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. It's small. It's small. She says you want to harvest when when the seeds inside are still like white and tender and not like brown and. Old, I guess. Next, you pan and you keep a young. I let Heidi cook for you. Make up. Okay. I tell her that. Yes. She'll let you cook for me. Yeah. She's saying those. The stem part is called the hat. Okay. Uh, the hat okay. is okay. too old. <laughs> too old. It's got an old so it's hat. So it's going to be tight yeah. around the... Like this. Okay. So when the hat's still holding tight. That's when you you want to harvest to eat them. Yeah. Yeah. Kulantro. Pakchi furang. Eringium fetidum. <laughs> what is it called? It's called, they call it Pakchi Falang, which is like, so there's two names. One, it's like Pakchi Falang and Pakchi Bai So one, one way of describing it is like Pakchi is cilantro here, or like it is a name for that. 
and the sawtooth, so they call it like sawtooth uh, cilantro, and they also call it pakchi furang means, furang in Thai means like foreigner, or a lot of people call white people foreigner, or like furang, so they call this um, cilantro furang. Do you know why it's called that? They think that if, if they had to guess, maybe like the foreigners came and planted it or showed, showed them. Yeah. It comes from the Americas originally. America. From like the Caribbean. Like, like my mom. I, I born, I'm 77 years old. The time my mom born, I got saw like this. They call Pakchi Bai Lui. She said her mom would call it, yeah, sawtooth, sawtooth cilantro. Mm-hmm. So now they're kind of battling or describing, figuring, trying to figure out other types of cilantros that they know of in Thailand that are similar but different. Can you ask your mom how her mom would prepare this? So they 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 use it in the same way they use it now is like in salads and soups and in in lap tom yum soup in particular tom yum soup yeah the soup we had last night <laughs> last night we put um, last night we put tom yum and we should have had this we could have used this yes and the mom's saying the next time I make lap I should use this this sawtooth cilantro. They said, just put it on everything. Anchovy. Sardines. Yeah, they like making sardine salad. Can you ask them their first plant, like food plant memories? Kapau and Thai basil. So, kapau, which is Thai holy basil, Thai basil, horapa, and salane is mint. So those are the two. And and this one. Yeah, because in Thai people, every how everybody eat lab, eat soup. Okay, Thai. For her, she was saying that makrut, um, uh, which is the lime leaves, is is something that's super important to her, and um, lemongrass. Mm-hmm. And that's her earliest memory. Yeah, and how it was just like around the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about your mother? Mm-hmm. I'm now I'm seventy seven year old. My my mom, the one I born, to eat every day. The she just for mom, her kind of f- what what is memorable to her is like young young banana, like goi on, like for her young banana, and then also what looks like the um. Malung, but it's a it's a different variety of that. But for her, like grandma, her mom, those were the things they would harvest when you know they had to eat. And horapa or like a pao wasn't was available, but for her, these are the things that are like. Okay, so young banana and what we call moringa or malung. Malung. Mm-hmm. 
but she called it dark hair. She was saying how the the dark hair that plant specifically eating the flowers was what was used to make like to eat in the curry and with like dips. Specifically, she's like that was her generation, like growing, like up, like that's what we, you know, it'd be super in the yard like that, and it's not like that anymore. But that's like what she would eat as a kid. Shopping every day. That oh, today eat it, eat it. That's how we have any kind like that we eat. Yeah. That year, that time I born seven years ago. Thank you for sharing that, mom. I asked why Heidi's parents decided to come to America. She said, well, we came to try to make a living, to, to work and make money. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why we came here. Very good living and make good money. That's why your dad come. And I came with your dad. That time I don't work, he work. Makutong. Uh-huh. We come. And after that, uh, my husband, his father, got good business, being all my family came. Oh, so you came first and then you brought yeah, the yeah, rest? Yeah, I'm not the one foot. <laughs> <laughs> where did you, when you came to America, where did you come first? I live in uh, uh, Maryland. Uh-huh. Maryland, dead life from D.C. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's the first we stay. And then you went from Maryland to Chicago? No, we moved to Baltimore. My husband got business in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The time in born and lived in Baltimore about five, six years, mm-hmm. seven years. In 1978, mm-hmm. I moved back. Her father, that time she not born yet. He said he too tired, he don't want to stay here no more. Move all family back. Back to Thailand? Yeah, but he, yeah. And then how, and then, but then you decided to come again, why is that? My husband, I just follow him. He stayed in Thailand only four months. Over here, he got good business, good house. He ordered, keep away some business and house. And he stayed only four months. He said, no, I go back to America. <laughs> what happened those four months that made him want to come back? Because in the Thailand, it had to get the job. And he got a little bit money, put the business. It not work good. Mm-hmm. He... He partnered with a friend, doctor. We plan to open hospital or something, but only for four months. Mm-hmm. It not work. He changed. He come to Thailand. His family changed him everything. Mm-hmm. That's why he upset. We lost a lot of money, mm-hmm. and we come back. What do you miss the most about Thailand? She's saying then what she missed most was, like, communication. Like, she couldn't speak the language, and... Mm-hmm. I think that was really challenging in the food, the food. When you go back home, what is the first thing you eat? Her favorite thing to go back and eat is like a lot of these herbs and vegetables you can't find here. And then also eating fish because she's, she's a river kid. Yeah. Yeah, when she goes back to Sapia, where she grew up, she'll like go and forage and and harvest all the things that she used to eat as a kid. It's her favorite thing. Mm. <laughs> and the freshwater fish. Fresh, yeah. Yeah, Oh, that one I love. Fish. Mm. That's why I eat a lot of fruit. 
my friend said, this is why I'm not too old. I'm 70. <laughs> 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 Everybody is like, I all the way I go up with her. her but they, my sister, they never like me. My, I go up with her. We eat everything we have and we plan. Mm-hmm. We never go buy nothing, my mom. You and your mom, but your sisters grew up no, different? She different, different. She younger, she a uh, new generation. She, oh, this one I know, I don't know how to eat. This one, no. Why did she grow up different than you? What was different when she was growing up? Mm, why? Because, um, I don't know. Because uh, I'm um, the new one, you know, right? The new one, man, God, let me die. For her, she mm. thinks, she feels like, even within these generations, like she grew up, there wasn't electricity, we didn't have a phone, there wasn't a lot of like modern technology, and for them is, even within that, you know, five year different, you know, we they had those things, so that I think changed, you know, is the difference for her. Because I don't live in the city, mm-hmm. I live like it. Did mm-hmm. why I go up with it, everything fit, never buy something. Never buy no meat. No refrigerator. No. How did you preserve the food? The fret one, I don't eat no meat. Uh-huh. The like once a while, have money, okay, go buy the meat and we cook right away. Mostly my, my eat lada, fish and a lot of vegetable. All that we can eat, my mom cook with me. So what did you eat in the dry no, season? No, 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 lada, lada, put vegetable, meat, pan, egg, pan. A lot, uh, uh, potato, something like that. And man, mm-hmm. So she's saying there is different seasons, but like usually the the rainy season, everything is like fresher or younger, right? Na na fun. It's the harvest time. But we never buy mine, never buy mine, never buy. She's saying that the um, the loofah plants that we were looking at reminds her of the gardens or the this this plant that they used to grow in in their house in Sapia in the garden and how she um, they would just use that as like they would eat that with everything fried with eggs just mm-hmm. dip it in like chili paste, mm-hmm. um, relishes. Right now, my t- hometown like that, right here. New generation, oh, I come back. The They're old one building. gone. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a little different. Mm. They're me beautiful, me beautiful, how are that? Now it's development. Yeah, like, I think the, more of the green space has become, like, single-family homes or, like, also like before the river was accessible from the backyard and now they built like a cement wall to sort of like mitigate the the river flooding because they live not too far from the china dam which is just up the river so now they instead of this view of the river it's just a cement wall wow yeah yeah heidi's mom talked about growing up before electricity using lanterns at night, and also carrying water from the river. Two pails on each side, one in each side, with, with a, a piece of, um, like a stick in between, and then you carried it with two two buckets on each side. No, 
เนี่ยหับอย่างนี้เชอะเนี่ยมันมีไม้ทำมาจากอนวันโซลเนี่ยแบมบูแบมบูแบมบูอาบน้ำเดี๋ยวทำไปเอ้ทัวร์ยูออเจเรชันองค์หนึ่งมีอัมโอมดเอติเยลไลน์นาวเดกเอวิทิงคอมเทเบิลดิดไวคิดนิววันนอตไลน์บีฟอร์ทูมัดทูทูมัดอีเล็กอะไรเทคนิชเชียนทูมัดเทคโนโลยีข้าวไรส์โอริซาซาติบะมันเหมือนข้าวนะมันรวมข้าวเนี่ยเนี่ยดิดไลน์เนี่ยไรส์เนี่ยเนี่ยเนี่ยข้าวไทป์ไรส์ยี่ดิดดิดข้าวต้นข้าวเนี่ยโอ้เขาปลูกอะไรเนี่ยอืมใช่ต้นข้าว she's admiring it ปลูกเยอะๆเลยดีแม่คิดถึงอะไรเวลาเจอข้าวก็คิดถึงแม่เด็กๆเลยไอ้กูอับวิดเดียยายบ้านแม่เขาทำนาเมกไรดีไวซึ่งเอาอัมเออ before before you get the deadline นะก่อนที่มันจะเป็นเม็ดลาเดอะเวิร์ก She's saying before you can have one seed of rice to eat, there's so much work that goes into it. Did why did your guy eat right or did dong throw the way? Yeah, I still think about that. Every time I did or my kid even her. Like when we eat rice, she's like every little grain, make sure you eat it all because for her, it's it has to. She understands the sort of work that goes into one grain. You saw your grandmother growing the rice. แต่แม่ไม่ได้ทำมากนะเอื้อมาทำเยอะแต่ใช่เราอยู่ yeah she said she didn't do a lot because she was sent to work but เนื้อมาโอ้ here my older sister they did a lot of the work in the the rice processing they would go and stay in the rice fields for like a month to to tend to the fields and work 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 the land what would you stay in Yeah, like little little huts mm-hmm. before there was tractors or like machines. No machine. You know they had a sickle, and to to harvest you would have to go and you know do this manual labor with the whole on the whole land. But they would um, share the labor with mm-hmm. cooperatively with like neighbors. So like if if someone's rice was ready, they would all come together and harvest. Mm-hmm. And the next time someone else's rice was ready, they would help each other harvest mm-hmm. the rice. มันไม่อีซี่นะบาวอย่างนี้นะ dry actually dry the rice after it's harvested and พอ dry แล้วนะ it hard job have to be man แม่ยายหวงทำเก่งมากพุทธอธิเกเดอร์ you have to be a man but grandma Wong was actually really great at this big bun อย่างเงี้ยนะ so you have to make it into a big bunch พุทธอธิเกเดอร์ in dry นะพุทธ in big bun แล้วก็ Like you stand it's it up once it's bunched together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And after that, and then after it's oh. together to to help together. us, we we had a quai is a um, water buffalo. Big bun, like that. Then stand up, make a lot. Twenty bunches of the stalks yeah. of rice, and then harvest it together. Then make a bun like that. Then go to the rice field, sieve, and then bag. Using bamboo structures oh, to help carry oh them, so that they're all together. Then we use the quai. Then go up about five trips. Five trips. Five. 
five times, the milk lid came out. Oh, so the water mm-hmm. buffalo would just step on the rice. Yeah. To, to separate the rice mm-hmm. from the husk. Mm. And so when she's saying it, the water buffalo would have to go mm-hmm. around at least five times. Yeah. First time, oh, very hard when song about it. Come on, go, go, put the buffalo. The, st- the rice stalks are really tall, so oh, the first round hard. is really hard because they're still tall. That's why we have to milk seven times. Mm-hmm. Make like that and go back, go back. Mm-hmm. So then after the, mm-hmm. the rice is Ooh. off of the stalks, no they machine. took like pieces of wood mm-hmm. and like kind of like put like, sh- raked it in. Yeah, uh-huh. raked, raked it in into uh-huh. a pile. Yeah. Wind, wind come. Winnowing. And you got put that it, uh-huh. take that this thing out. So there, it was a two, two part, two person yeah. project where mm-hmm. so, you know, they'd wait for a windy day to mm-hmm. remove some of the other, like the grass and other husk parts. Clean. One person would sort of toss the rice uh-huh. the and like the wind put. would like blow mm-hmm. the you debris like away and then another person would rake, it. rake in the rice. Mm-hmm. She's describing all these tools that are made out of bamboo that was used right to help now, with the process. Everything they use machine. One day or gone fifty acre, hundred acre. Where did all the water buffalo go? Huh? She said, Well, when they didn't farm anymore they just sold their water buffalo. There is a project right now trying to revitalize sort of like uh, water buffalo farming in some places, but like they're now. mostly gone. Mm-hmm. Like, not like, not, the rice now. farming right now like uses mm-hmm. a lot of chemicals and things like that, yeah. so it doesn't feel the same mm-hmm. as the rice before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no machine to use. <laughs> well, we don't use machines here. Mm-hmm. We don't, also we don't have buffalo, yeah. so we just, we're the buffalo. Yeah, yeah, She's describing how there's like a lot of land from the government, aka the like, the monarchy. So there's like land like that that is leased to for farmers to, to do like, I guess old ways of like farming and mm-hmm. and processing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's projects happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm really glad you could come here today. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Heidi, yeah. for bringing your family. Yeah. Thank you so much, Owen. It's really beautiful to be here with yeah, mom thank you and for You opened it for us. <laughs> You're always welcome when you want to come back to the country. Life. <laughs> Thank you so much to Heidi Ratanawinitz and their mom and their aunties for speaking to us for this episode and for all the work they're doing to preserve their traditional foods. I want to read a text from Heidi. Let me pull it up here that came through the morning we recorded this. Thank you so much, Owen. Listening and hearing mom and aunties really touched me and reminded me of why I do Golden Dragon and other food projects. The hot dog part was extra sweet for me. It's inspiring me to grow a Chicago-style hot dogs garden, including Zhongshu tomatoes, white cucumbers from Thailand, Chinese celery, to name a few, and also sport pepper. Also, Heidi wrote, Golden Dragon is going to close officially at the end of the month when our lease ends. I'm passing the space along to Bunny Hop. 
I will continue working collectively on food projects and spaces, prioritizing self and fortune. That's a collective they are a part of with queer Asian artists and space makers. Recentering and dipping back into a studio art practice. I feel sad about Golden Dragon, but I also know that more work around food sovereignty will continue. And thank you for listening and sharing this episode of Seeds and Their People with your loved ones. Please share this episode with someone you love and subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app. Thank you also for helping our seed keeping and storytelling work by leaving us a review and also ordering seeds, t-shirts, and more from our website, trueloveseeds.com. And again, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds and submit questions for our next episode. Your support keeps the episodes coming. And remember, keeping seeds is an act of true love for our ancestors and our collective future.